All right. Um, <laughs> probably, probably the longest sermon I've prepared for in months, and we're not going to have a whole lot of time. So we're, this will probably be broken into two pieces. So you guys don't be concerned with that. I'll work it out. <laughs> uh, but <clears throat> kind of coming off of John 17 yesterday, it makes sense to jump into John 18 today. Um, as you're, you're just kind of going in, in line. Makes sense, right? Uh, we talked last week, and we actually had a discussion, which was really good. Did y'all enjoy that? Was that good? Yes? No? Y'all like it? Yes? Y'all still sleep? Yes? All right. So, <laughs> so I really enjoy it. I don't know if y'all do, but I really do, because I, like um, I, I like hearing questions. I like hearing some of y'all's insight. Um, I really like, Margaret gave me like 12 more sermons I'm like going through my head. I'm like, oh, oh, those are all good. So, I mean, but everybody that, that contributed is just that's really good. I think that's a healthy, a healthy way to have church um, is to hear from you guys as well. So we're we're talking about how we're going to do that. We may do it quarterly or monthly or something like that, and just have more of those where we have more discussions than just me talking. Um, so that was really cool. I appreciate you guys joining in. So from last week talking about 17, where Jesus prays for himself, prays for his disciples, then prays for us, which is pretty cool. Uh, we talked about that in youth too. How we like the Bible talks specifically even about us, people that will believe because of, of uh, what Jesus was saying. So f- from that, we get into John 18. We're going to start in John 18, 1. We'll read through it, and then we're going to break down some things. Uh, so if you want to turn there, John 18, 1. It's right after 17, right before 19. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Unless you're digital, then you just type it out. Google it. Google it. John 18, 1 says, When he had finished praying... Obviously, 17, he was praying. Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now, you know in the Gospels, this is told in all the Gospels. Uh, This specific one, uh, there's something that I want to kind of hang out because I love the way that John puts it, and he's very specific. Um, Verse 2 says, Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. Verse 3, So Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Now remember that. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And I cut my teeth on NIV, so that's kind of what I default to, but NIV kind of adds a he there. In the Greek, it's just I am. So I'm just going to say it that way for this anyway. Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth they replied, uh, verse 5, and Jesus says, I am. When Jesus said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, that was a neat detail that's not in the other Gospels that I think is really interesting. And we'll come back to that as well. Verse 7, again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you, I am. If you were looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Now, most of you know the story, right? Y'all have heard the story of Jesus in the garden, gets the ear cut off, tells him to put it up. Um, we're going to kind of look at everything that surrounds this because there's a lot more going on here. Uh, One thing that I want to hang out on, but not quite yet, is the I am. But before we get there, we need to see why uh, the disciples even have swords, right? 
Um, hey, Patrick. Hi. Glad you can make it. Awesome. So, why do the disciples have swords? Well, one of the other ver- one of the other uh, descriptions of the same thing happening is in Luke, and right before that, in Luke, in Luke twenty two thirty five, right before uh, Jesus goes into the garden and the soldiers come, Luke. Uh, Luke twenty two thirty five. it says, Jesus asked them, When I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? They answered, Nothing. Verse 36, he said to them, But now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. So he's telling them to go get a sword, right? This is right before this, hap- right before this happened in the garden. If you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and go buy one. Now here's, here's the little interesting part in verse 37. He says, It is written... And he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. Now, it's interesting that it's plopped right in the middle of the story. So verse 38, it says, the disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. And Jesus replied, That's enough. Now, why is it enough that there's two swords? I'll tell you. <laughs> One sword is, would be normal for people to carry to defend, to, to defend the, you know, whatever, the flock themselves from robbers, whatever. But two swords... Uh, what? He's dual wielding. Dual wielding. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. So, so, so there's two swords they have. Now, it says right after that, and this helps clarify when it says, uh, verse 37, he's quoting Isaiah, I believe here, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Now, if you have two swords and a group of people like that, you have the potential to have an uprising, right? It could be a rebellion. So the difference of having one sword and two swords is one sword would just be defend yourself, but now you have a group of people that have two swords. They're a potential threat. So this is why he quotes the scripture right here, because Jesus had done nothing wrong. Up to the, he, he, was, he was not guilty of anything. But he knew that his time was coming and it was going to be fulfilled, and he needed to be arrested and crucified. And I believe this is very clear here when he says this in 37, that, that, that this is the prophecy that he had to fulfill, that he was numbered with the transgressors. The transgressors would be the people that they thought were bringing up a rebellion, right? So that's, it's kind of twofold. So that's one of the reasons I believe he says to take your swords here. The other reason I don't think it's just so that they could fight is because he, after Peter cuts the ear off, he tells him to put it back, and he heals the guy's ear, right? So I think there's two things happening here. One is he knows, well, the, the bigger picture is he's got a greater battle that he's about to fight that's in the spirit and not in the flesh. So he's not fighting with fleshly weapons like swords. He's fighting a greater battle that he's going to win. And so he's not concerned. That's why he says in another, uh, another version of the same story in the other Gospels is, don't you know that I could, I could summon 12 over... 12 legions of angels. Um, people get caught up on the 12 legions because there's so many, but he was saying over, meaning I could, I have all the angels. Yeah, all of them. Am I hot? Does it sound I'm ringing a little bit? Can you bump me down just a hair? All right. I could hear it like, ding, ding. Um, so the, the, uh, the whole sword thing is he's, he's not getting them to, to get swords necessarily so they can fight, but there's two lessons to be learned here. One is there's a greater battle, greater battle going on, but he also knows what's going to happen with, with Peter in the garden. Since he already foreknew these things, he knows that lessons sometimes need to be learned in person, right? Um, when I was studying this, it reminded me of just a year ago in 2019, we were uh, going to walk-ons before homecoming, uh, and many of you know or have heard, uh, a guy got into a fight in there, was beating up his girlfriend, and then the, the manager body slammed him and and uh, I don't know, maybe it's just me. It just seems like it's ringing. Um, and then uh, Mike and I both kind of figured what was going to happen next. When he left, he went out to his car and he got a gun. And he came back and started shooting. He was really far out in the parking lot. 
Um, but he came back and started shooting towards the back of the building. And if you've ever been near guns, they're really loud. So it didn't matter where he was. It sounded like it was going off in the building, and it was mass chaos. And so uh, uh, we were standing by the doors, and um, a lady ran right past me right after he started shooting. And you never know what you're going to do in a situation like that, like no clue what you're going to do in a situation like that. And I'm not going to get too deep into um, why you should or shouldn't do these things, but I know because uh, I, I can still carry, so I pulled my gun, and I went out there with her because I was like, she's running out right towards this guy. Um, but her kid was in the car, and she didn't care about anything but getting to her kid. So I ran out there, and it was back when I did used to wear my watch. We looked back at the watches, and with Tracy's, her heartbeat skyrocketed. And we looked back at ours, and mine didn't move. I think Mike's even went down somehow magically. Um, his heartbeat slowed down, and mine didn't really move at all. And I think it's interesting because you, you can talk about these situations, but until they happen, you really don't know what you're going to do. And I would have never thought that I would have run towards, <laughs> towards necessarily towards a gunman. Um, all that to say, he was really too far away to safely de to, to safely fire anyway. And I'd really, you never, I never want to shoot anyone ever. Like that's never my heart, and I don't think anyone is. But there's those times when you don't know what's going to happen until it actually happens. And I think this is one of those times when. He's, he's going to show him something live and in person. He's going to show Peter something. This is, and it makes so much sense because later on when he's telling Peter that this is what I'm going to build my church on, this rock, meaning uh, Peter's going to be the one that really is going to push the truth of the gospel of uh, the rock that he builds his church on is going to be that the truth that, that Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So it makes sense to me that he's teaching Peter this in this, in this moment, that, that Peter needs to know that he's not fighting a fleshly battle. He's fighting a spiritual one. So I think... I think even for us, a good takeaway from this as well is you're, you're going to go through some stuff. Like you, you're going to, not everything is going to go perfectly and smoothly in your Christian walk. You know, I would love to tell you that and tell you if you gave a certain amount or if you followed these three steps that everything is going to be perfect for you, but it's just not true. I mean, it's just not. I would be lying. <laughs> um, the truth is you are going to go through, through some things. It's very clear through Scripture. We're, we're going to deal with some stuff. You're going to deal with pain. We live in a fallen world. You're going to see things that don't line up with what you know to be true about the kingdom of heaven. But the good news is that he has placed a deposit of the kingdom in your heart. The good news is that he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. The good news is that Jesus doesn't just send us rules on rocks like he did through Moses. He sends us the Holy Spirit to comfort us and to, to write his laws on our hearts. Amen. The good news is that we're never alone. Amen. Ever. Amen. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's that's one of the probably the deepest, even, even coming up trying to discover who you are as a person and your purpose and all that kind of stuff, you're trying to figure out who you are. And you're trying to, and for me, I know there was, a lot of, there was a lot of fighting and there was physical fighting. I would get in fights when I was younger a lot, but most of the fighting was me just trying to discover who the heck I was, why I was even here, why I was plopped on this third rock from the sun. <laughs> you know, why, what's, what's the point of all this? And even after church, I struggled with that because all I was taught was you need to get people to go to heaven, wherever that is. And I really didn't understand fully why. And the same question kept coming up. Why are we here? Why don't we just hold people longer when we baptize them and send them on their way? It seems logical to me. I mean, if, if the goal is heaven far, far away, then what's our purpose? Why are we here, right? So I think he's teaching Peter something right now, right on the tail end of the prayer that says, I don't want to take you out of this world, right? He's not seeking to take you out of the world in John 17. I, I just want you to know that I am the perfect representation of God. If you want to know the character of God, look at me. Look at Jesus. He is the perfect physical representation of God. He's wanting to show us that his kingdom doesn't look like kingdoms on earth. 
when he says, I've got all authority, but then he, he serves, he gets in the lowest position and washes feet. That's how his kingdom works. When he says, I have, oh, this blows me away. I've taught, all the time I teach, when I've taught youth in the past about meekness, we talk about meekness and it's been trans, translated into our language poorly. And most of the time when you hear meekness, you think what? Weakness, right? Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. I use an example with the youth about we used to have a WRX. It was a turbocharged four-cylinder, if you care, and it's all-wheel drive. And I could outrun big V8 Mustangs because I had control of the power that I had. I get into cars, so we like to race back then. The, the point being, just because you have power doesn't make you a, a real authority in anything. It's the ability to control that power. And Jesus is making a really good example here. He's got 12 legions of angels to defend him. Uh, Peter cuts the ear off, and I love that he... Uh, John is the only one that actually names names here. <laughs> He's very specific. He's like, Peter did this, and yeah. the, the guy's ear, they got cut off. Not, not the one that Jesus loved. Not, <laughs> <laughs> not the disciple whom Jesus loved. That would be me. John. <laughs> I love John. He's awesome. <laughs> anyway, uh, there's great truth in that, too, that he really knew. He was so proud of it that he said it over and over again. <laughs> And the disciple whom Jesus loved, um, but I love that he even he even names the uh, the servant, the high priest servant, was Malchus. Another thing that Jesus was teaching in this moment was not only was he healing Malchus so he could hear again, but Malchus was a servant of the, of the high priest. He would have not had a job after that because of Levitical law. If you had any defect, you wouldn't be able to serve again at all. He was showing that he cared even for his enemies. Right? Yeah. No. Yes, of course you can. So I, I think everybody needs to understand how important, I mean, you know, we read scripture and that little detail, you know, we read it because it's been 2,000 years ago. But what you need to keep in mind is, so these are details that if that didn't happen, like if, if John hadn't named the servant or since he did name the servant, those people immediately after the crucifixion, you know, within 50 years or within 10 years, because all of this stuff was written down really, really soon afterwards, that little detail, somebody could have said, what are you talking about? I was there. That didn't really happen. But since John named the servant, all of that could be checked back then, because this was all of this was written down within 10 to 20 years after it happened. So... Yes. That's just an, these little details like that are, are really, really important. We just gloss over them and we don't think about it, but they're really important. And yeah, and in the same way, I, I concur. In the same way, the prophecies that had to be fulfilled, Jesus was fulfilling all these prophecies in line. Like he knew exactly, I mean, he knew. <laughs> um, which one should I chase here? I've got time to chase one thing. All right. The funny one? <laughs> the funny one. <laughs> I don't know that either one's funny. Uh, yeah. So, so the, uh, let's look, let's do this, because I think this will lay the groundwork for next week, um, so I can do the second part. All right, the, the two times when they came up to him and they said, I am, the first time they, they drew back and fell to the ground. That, that just, something about that really struck me. And I began to look at, really what he was saying there when he was saying, I am. And this will, this will be a brief version of, and it's still a pretty good bit, but a brief version of to describe 
what I am really means. Excuse me. Some of you may already know this, but I'm going to tell you again. Um, so the context and significance of the name I am, the book, uh, the book of Exodus is the second book of the Bible. The first five books, both the Jewish uh, and Christian Bibles, called the Pentateuch, are historically attributed to Moses. In context, the introduction of the name I am comes early in Exodus. Uh, the Israelites had been in bondage in Egypt for four centuries. Near the end of this time, Moses fled Egypt and, and lived in Midian for 40 years. Then God came to him and spoke through the burning bush. Y'all remember the burning bush story? Moses asked God for, uh, for his name so that he'll have somebody, you know, who's, who's sending me. Um, so Moses asked for his name so he'll give an answer when the, the people of Israel ask. In English, God's name or God's answer is translated into I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you in Exodus. Um, to understand the power and weight of his name, uh, compare this answer to the Egyptian pantheon. The Israelite nation lives surrounded by temples dedicated to deities with faces, bodies, birth stories, and death stories. Most significantly, they had names and dominion over certain aspects of life. For example, the goddess Isis had dominion over, over women, children, and medicine. Her name identified her with specific characteristics, and she held sway only over a few elements of life, um, not so for the God of Israel. Prior to this moment, with Moses, the Israelites called their God Elohim, a title, not a personal name, or El Shaddai, often translated as God Almighty. When God gives a name for his, for his people to call him, it conveys his dominion over all things, the source of his power and his eternal nature. I am, he is the self-sufficient, self-sustaining God who was, who is, and who will be. This eternal nature is conveyed better in the Hebrew than in the English. The first time God says, I am, which is, I am who I am, the Hebrew says, and this is hard to say, but it's, Ehyeh, Asher, Ehyeh, which translates, I will be what I will be. Then God uh, when God then tells Moses, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Um, in Exodus, it is Yahweh. So it's uh, the Eye is I am. Yahweh is he is, basically. Um, Yahweh is the third person version of Eye, Eye, uh, which is first person. Yahweh can also be translated as he will be. Um, and I am appeared over 6,000 times in the Bible. That's just crazy. So I am is very important because it it is a very... Or, Yahweh, how we would say he is, is very important because it's not just a title of God, like a little g God. It is the very character. It is he is. And so I believe when Jesus says, I am, he's not just saying it like, that's me. He's saying it like, Yahweh, like, this is, <laughs> this is the real deal. And I believe, truly believe, that there's power when Jesus speaks. Just like when he talked to uh, Jairus' daughter, and he said, you know, she's just sleeping. And we've, you, know, you can discuss and debate what that looks like. Was she sleeping or was she dead? It doesn't matter. Because when Jesus says she was just sleeping, she was just sleeping because his words carry power. So I think in the same way when he says, I am, I think not that it was necessarily on purpose, but I just think the power of him speaking those words knocked them flat on their back. I mean, wow. That's just crazy to me to think about that. Yes. Yeah, and they had weapons. No, they hurt me. Yeah, a whole mob. Her translation says a whole mob. There's another translation too. When I was I was studying it too, that said it wasn't a mob, but it was similar. That it was a very large. It was a it was a lot of people. It wasn't just like a handful of guys, and they cut the ear off of one of them. It was it was an army coming to take him. I think that's evident when he says, "I could summon over twelve legions of angels. They could wipe you guys out." Yes. And I, I, I think 
it's significant that the mob, a lot of those people were Romans. They weren't necessarily Jews. And so they were, it, they were struck by the power of mm -hmm. that, even though they, were, they, were, they weren't they included know, into who he was. They didn't fully know, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, where I want to go, the second thing I wanted to talk about, which we may have enough time. I'll just kind of at least lay the groundwork for it next week anyway. Um, so let's see. All right. So if we want to look at really, and I've looked at a few different scriptures about this. When, you, when we talk about power, when you talk about the power of Jesus saying I am or what the power of God looks like, um, and I always, I guess just because of my own personal experience in going to churches after being saved and seeing how people have latched onto something separate than Christ and, and made more man-made religions around them and how I believe that really hurts. Um, it can really be destructive and hurt people. Uh, I saw a lot of people, and different, and it doesn't matter what denomination you come from, they're all that religion stuff, it's just different flavors of the same thing. Um, for me personally, I went to a more charismatic style church, um, and so we really hang, we hung on to the quote-unquote power anointing where people would fall out, or, or there, there was some evidence of something, and whether it was speaking in tongues or falling out, there was, but, and not, I don't think intentionally, but sometimes that we would grab onto that separate from Jesus as though we were worshiping that and not Jesus. And I, it, it was what didn't sit well with me for years, I just didn't know what to call it. I didn't know why it didn't sit well with me until I understood how paramount relationship is and how paramount Jesus is, which seems pretty logical. Um, in a lot of ways, you know, however you want to call, you know, intellectuals or people that really want to dig into scripture and fully, which is both, both things are good. We can get caught up in things that are separate. Anything we elevate above Christ can turn into heresy pretty quick. Amen. Um, and it's very dangerous. So I believe when, when literally when I Googled this morning, the power of God, the first scripture that came up was Romans 1 I will not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power. So what is the power of God? The gospel. The good news is the power of God. There's nothing else that carries that kind of power except for God's word. And it's, it's important that we see it in scripture, but it's not just scripture. It's also in spirit, because when we talk about the word, and that's what I want to get to is the sword. Let's, let's look at this real quick, and then we'll, we'll kind of dive into it a little bit before we get up out of here. Uh, a good, a good uh, representation, because John was writing this, we can go to another book that John wrote, which is Revelation. Uh, Revelation 1, uh, 1 11. It says, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, Smyrna, per, uh, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and, uh, and Laodicea. Philadelphia is where Fresh Prince was. All right, so verse 12. <laughs> I, turned, I turned around to see the voice. That's all I think about every time I read that. Uh, I turn around, now I'm singing it in my head. All right, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And, and when I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and in his eyes were blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and that's representing the seven churches he just talked about in those pastors and those people. He held them in his strong hand. And coming out of his mouth uh, was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. 
When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Now look, he, there's a, a point in which we see a sword here. Where is it? Where's the sword? In his mouth. It's coming out of his mouth. He's not wielding a sword as, as we would think a sword is. It's the word. And we know the word was with God and the word was God. Well, who is the word? The word is Jesus. So it's important that we see it for what it is. There's a, uh, I can't think of the exact scripture, but you know the full armor of God. It says the same thing, that the, we put on all the, the breastplate of righteousness and, and all the things, but it says that uh, the, the sword, which is the spirit. So the important thing is we don't, we don't negate either of these things. The word and the spirit work hand in hand. Um, for years, I remember getting to, into discussions and debates with different people that would, would try to uh, swing the pendulum heavier towards towards the Bible and, and digging deeper in the Bible and then would swing more towards the Spirit and gifts of the Spirit and modern, modern day operation of the gifts and all these different things. And there's no reason for that pendulum to be swinging at all. They should be dead right in the middle. We should have, both of these things are what gives us strength. They're not mutually exclusive and they're not going in different directions. The Spirit brings life to the Word. It's the living Word. The Spirit is what makes this book not a history book, but a book that is about you and me right now. The, the book that is about a, a living... Oh man, the, the truth that... that Jesus sees in Peter when he says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's, the Spirit is what brings that to life in us. That makes, this, that makes Scripture not a chore, but a, a joy. It, it, because it, it, it includes us in the story. How cool is that? He prayed for us just a chapter ago. He prayed for us, you and me. He said, not just these guys, but all those that will believe because of them. That's us. We get to... We get to we get to do that, I always think of, uh, which is a horrible example, from kicking and screaming when he gives them all those birds. And I think one of them gets salmonella. <laughs> and they're like, we have to keep these? And you're like, no, you get to keep them. <laughs> but this is the real version. That's, that doesn't make any sense because that's opposite of what I'm trying to say. But we actually genuinely, <laughs> I just like that movie and it's funny. So that, there it is. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So that's the joy part. So when he, when he says this, now go back. He says this, look, in, in Revelation, that that's what's coming out is, is, of his mouth is a sharp double-edged sword. And we go back to uh, John 18, 4. It says, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen, and went out and said, Who's you, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And they fell, and they fell to the ground. Man, there's power. There's power when the, when, when the gospel goes out, when the good news goes out. You don't have to convince people of what it is. You just announce it. It has power. That's why the word of God never returns void because it's all, it's all good. Who's going to not, you know, you, you would have to, you have to try really hard not to receive the good news. I mean, you genuinely do. Um, part, of, part of my beef with uh, isolation in general, social distancing, um, don't rush the stage. I'm, I know that it's, for, for some people, it's safer to do that for a time. And I, I, that's, that's up to you. I'm not going to judge you either way. But I will stand on this, prolonged social distancing is dangerous. If it, and I always say it's how we torture prisoners. It's how we hurt, we hurt people by isolating them. If you isolate yourself from people, especially loving people, uh, people that are for you and that care for you, it will be detrimental. It will cause physical, it will hurt you. And I, many of you are shaking your heads because you felt it. I have personally as well. I got so deep into trying to figure out what was wrong with me physically that I fell into I guess you could call it a depression. It was just, I was so consumed with trying to figure out what was going on with some kind of illness that I had that nothing else mattered. I didn't care about anything else. My whole, my life was falling apart just because I was so centered on something um, and I was isolating myself from everyone that was around me, trying to figure it out. Be careful on Google. 
my elbow hurts. You, you're dead. You have elbow cancer, right? Yeah, so I mean, it's just anything, <laughs> just be careful Googling stuff because it's, yeah, you're either totally fine or you're dead. It's, it's, there's, no, there's no in between. It's just like, um, so, but, but anytime, and those, I can remember that time when I was so isolated from every, and Tracy could probably remember it too, I was so consumed with that that nothing else mattered. I wasn't, I wasn't living a fruitful life. I wasn't having joy. I certainly wasn't having peace. I wasn't able to minister to other people very well. Um, so all of that was, was tough. In the same way, if you pull away from people for too long, it's dangerous. And I think it's, it's so good that Jesus sent his Holy Spirit so that we would never be alone. Amen. And even, even when we find ourselves in those dark places, it was those times when I would pray and go, God, what's wrong with me? I need you to heal me. And he would bring me back to a place where I realized that it, this whole thing isn't revolving around me. <laughs> right? He's like, I got you. Everything's okay. And, and it shifts your perspective on everything. I know Patrick's been, you know, dealing with similar things and almost totally healed at this point, right? Cool. He can eat, he can eat stuff, which is always good. Um, and l- lucky. And so here, did you say lucky? I said, I'll say lucky. Oh, I like he. <laughs> it's like, lucky, it's a Napoleon Dynamite thing. <laughs> lucky, he got healed. Well, the same thing that Lauren was, was saying, I know many times we think that God passes by us and we see someone else blessed. We need to, we really need to get, gain some perspective on celebrating with others. And in those times, I think that just in the process, we'll, it'll splash back on us and we'll be healed too. I know that when we were at a gas station one time, we did the gas buy down and I'd never been around. Well, well, not that specific one where this girl pretty much was blind in one eye and she was healed at a gas pump when we were buying down gas prices. I was just like, I've never seen that, but now I want to pray for everybody's eyes <laughs> because I saw it like I was there when it happened. I was like, I just want to do this all the time. And it was exciting. It was fun, right? And so I think knowing that knowing that the truth and the power of the Word of God changes people from the inside out, you don't have to stress out so much about whatever you have to figure out on your own. There's, there's nothing wrong with adding your own you know, swamp flavor or whatever it is, but God's going to do the heavy lifting. He always does. When, when you speak truth, when you speak truth in love, you don't have to tell people that. You just do it. Things happen. That's just how God's word works. When you speak, when you speak from the Holy Spirit, things happen. Things happen in the spirit, and they manifest in the natural. Don't get caught up in the, the natural so much. Where this is temporary. One out of every one person in this room is going to die one day physically. Don't be mad at me. It's statistics. We're here temporarily. But there's lots that we got, there's lots to do in the time that we're here. And we can have, and we do have righteousness, peace, and joy right now in the Holy Spirit. And we can share that with everyone around us, and there's power in it. What is power? Power is in the gospel, the good news. That's where power is. Not in the results, not if you fall down, praise the Lord that you fall down. But that's a result of the power, not a cause for it. If, we, if our worship team gets excited up here, it's because they're excited about the Lord. It's not trying to get you riled up so that you can be. It's because they are. It's because they, they're not trying to manifest anything. It's because the truth in them is manifesting. <laughs> Same thing with you guys. When you pray, when you, when you get a word, when you uh, reach out and you help someone, when you, when you love someone, that is a, a manifestation of what's going on in the Holy Spirit in your heart. It's from here to here, not the other way around. From the core of who you are, the deposit, the, it is finished, the finished work of Christ, renewing your mind every day. We renew our minds, not our hearts. Your heart has been renewed already, sanctified, holy, righteous, peace. Remind yourself of that every day and share it with other people. There's power in it. Woo, only two minutes over.
I only have four pages left. <laughs> now we'll, uh, I got through, well, most of them, probably three quarters. We'll, we'll keep talking about this next week. Y'all, is this good? Y'all like this? We're kind of going in order. It's, I know this is crazy for me. So stand up with me. I'll pray for you guys. Um, and I want to encourage you, after I pray, we're going to have Daniel and Lauren are going to be up here for prayer afterwards. And they're going to be doing this every Sunday. Um, and if, if you want to hang out, you're welcome to hang out. But just try to go to the back so that they can have a little bit of, so they can hear each other pray at least, so they're not screaming. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to encourage you uh, to come up here if you need prayer and go back there if you want to open your mouth hole and talk a lot. All right. Father, we just thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that you would... Uh, you would highlight people in our lives this week, Lord, as we leave this place, just as you're so faithful to do for me, I know that you will do for everyone in this place, that you will just highlight someone to them, Lord, that they can text them or call them um, or just pray for them uh, and just build them up. And Lord, in the same way, I pray that you would put other people um, in our lives that would do the same for us. Lord, it's a beautiful thing when we are operating from you. Thank you for uh, inward transformation and not outward frustration. (laughs) Um, we just love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.